43 kilometres to the west of Brisbane lies the mining town of Ipswich. In fact, it had grown in population and importance as a destination in Queensland and was no longer a town and had been proclaimed a city in 1904. By the year 2021, it would house almost 250,000 people and be the seventh fastest growing area in Australia. But in 1910, the majority of Ipswich male population were engaged in work in the limestone and coal mining industries, in the wool mills, in foundries or on the railways. A house could be purchased for around five or six hundred pounds and transport around town was mainly train, bus, bicycle, walking or horse and cart. Cars weren't common, so a trip to Brisbane would have been a train journey for well over an hour. Locals would shop at the Cribbon Foot department store, but only if they were well off enough to afford their prices. One member of the Foot family was quite a handy sportsman, and you could find Alf Foot down at the North Ipswich Reserve plying his trade as a rugby league player. By 1910, Ipswich had embraced the rugby league game, and almost all of their local rugby union clubs had made the change to rugby league. While the rugby league population of the town sorted out its own competition, the best of them banded together and entered the Queensland Amateur Rugby League's major competition out of Brisbane. They were fairly successful too, with Foote, Tubman, O'Brien, Manns, Brown, Thomas and halfback Ginger Lewis all playing for Queensland during the year. It meant a two-hour train trip there and back each game day, but teams of the Queensland Amateur Rugby League embraced the challenge. So successful were they that Ipswich ran away with the Rugby League Premiership and the following year entered not one, but two sides into the competition. You're listening to the third episode of Season 2 of Brisbane Rugby League Moments in Time, and Ipswich entering two teams in the Brisbane Rugby League competition? That was 1911. G'day everybody, welcome to BRL Moments in Time. I'm Chris Leeson and we're bringing you episode 4 of season 2 today. And that's a study of the year 1911. I'm here as always with Dave Teagle. Dave, how are you going at the moment? Great, Chris. Yeah, I've just um, knocked off about a week of holidays, so I'm feeling very well uh, rested and nicely unwound. Oh, that's good. Mm. Um, okay, well, we're into 1911. Can you give us a little bit of perspective, Dave? What was going on in 1911? Yeah, in 1911, there were still very few cars on the roads in Brisbane. Uh, but we did have electric trams and trains and plenty of bikes, horses and carts. William Kidston was still the Premier of Queensland until he resigned in February and Digby Denham took over. Andrew Fisher was the Prime Minister. The ACT and the Northern Territory were both established in 1911 and the city of Palmerston in the Northern Territory was renamed Darwin in honour of Charles Darwin. Compulsory military training is brought in on January the 1st, and in April of 1911, the first national census in Australia took place. The Royal Military College at Duntroon was opened. International Women's Day was celebrated for the first time in Europe. Leonardo's painting of the Mona Lisa was stolen from the Louvre in Paris, Um, obviously returned at a later date. Mm -hmm. Italy declares war on the Ottoman Empire. This was a bit of a precursor to the First World War, but we won't go into all the ins and outs of it here. And in December, the Norwegian expedition led by Roald Mudson reaches the South Pole just a couple of weeks prior to Scott's party 
Unlike Scott, Amundsen was able to successfully return to his base after a successful expedition. It's interesting. When I first started to research this era, I always thought that automobiles were part of the landscape. And when mm. I read about Ipswich's entry into the league, that wasn't the case. Yeah. Uh, there were buses <laughs> and trams in the streets, but not many private cars and certainly not many owned by rugby league footballers. So any of those games with Ipswich teams meant that one team and their supporters were travelling a couple of hours each way on the train and then being ferried to ground somehow. Yeah, or a bit like these days, I suppose. You know, everyone piling onto the... Uh the city trains heading into Lang Park. Mm, yeah. All right, well, on to the footy. We can report that there was some great excitement noted in the AGM of Valleys and North Brisbane due to the upcoming Kangaroo Tour to England in season's end. There are a number of players, particularly at these two clubs, who felt that they were in with the chance to make the tour. It's interesting to note, before we get there, that the best Queensland players were comparable to the best New South Wales players. There just weren't as many of them, so New South Wales would win most of those interstate games. In 1910, New South Wales were not able to beat England in any of their three encounters. When Australia played England with 11 New South Wales players and two Queensland players, England won by seven points. When Australia played England with seven Queenslanders and only six New South Wales players, England won by five points. It's not to say an Australian team stacked with Queenslanders was a two-point better side, is simply to note that the top six or seven Queensland players were as good as anything that New South Wales had to offer, particularly when we're talking about guys like Bill Hydekey, Doug McGregor, Arthur O'Brien, Charlie Woodhead, Harold Nicholson, Herb Brackenrigg and Ed Buckley. Moving back to the season in Brisbane, the league held their annual meeting at the beginning of April. Participant numbers were up on previous years and the league seemed to be progressing well. Cairns, Rockhampton, Maryborough, Warwick, Gympie, Toowoomba and Ipswich had all had meetings with regard to starting rugby league clubs or competitions in their respective areas. When Mr Crawford stepped up to speak on his balance sheet at the annual meeting, he noted that the league had paid out more accident fees in one year than another body had done in its whole existence. <laughs> he then said that players should receive out-of-time money. At this point, Valley's international forward, Ed Buckley, interjected and said, Every man never gets that. Crawford continued saying that he would refuse any claims that weren't brought forward properly. Buckley interjected again. Can you give me a reason why they didn't pass mine? Crawford again, trying to stay with the meeting, but obviously becoming a little rattled, said that there was a time and place, and if Mr Buckley wanted him to, he would answer that. But his hope was that Buckley wouldn't press. Buckley did. I wish you would answer it. So Crawford did answer the claim. Buckley's claim had been put forward relating to the Maribor trip by the Brisbane team at the end of the season. Buckley went on the trip as the manager of the team and was not to play. He borrowed a pair of boots and did play and then on the team's return trip they stopped in Gympie to play another game and the borrowed boots were returned to the lender. So Buckley played barefoot. It was wet and slippery and Buckley broke his ankle. Mr Crawford noted that he had traipsed Buckley around the countryside looking for a hospital and had outlaid 10 shillings in the process. He thought a man who wasn't selected going out to play without boots deserved what he got. When Mr Duffin was out of work for an injury sustained in the same match, he was paid for his accident fee. Buckley argued further this time over the conditions under which he went to Maribyrnong. I think he might have had a point there too because the team that was listed in the newspaper at the end of the season included Ed Buckley in the forward pack. As the argument went on, another voice was heard in the meeting. Why didn't I get mine? This time it was Valley's fullback Doug McGregor. 
You might recall that George Duffin had to step in at fullback for McGregor after the first interstate match in 1910 because McGregor had sustained an injury. He was in bed for three weeks and not given any reason why he didn't receive his accident fee. Said Crawford, All the claims were put before a claims committee and decided on their merits. McGregor said it didn't show the league as doing a great deal for their players. He wasn't looking for charity, just what was due for him for being injured while he was playing. Crawford again. It's already been explained. McGregor. But not as Mr Buckley's was. Then Chairman Al Faulkner came to Crawford's rescue and noted that the AGM wasn't the place to contest the accident fee claims and they should move on. Buckley stepped in again and committee member and state manager Mr Eve stepped in quoting bylaws that players should pay the league sixpence each for the purpose of assuring the accident fund. He then asked Buckley if he'd paid. Buckley didn't answer, just saying, I put in seven weeks on my back and it cost me three pounds. Crawford. We're not compelled to pay any accident expenses at all according to the rules. We don't call meetings to consider claims only and we had a considerable amount of work to do. McGregor thought the, play- the league should study the players or they might have trouble getting more. To which Mr Eve responded, I think the players should study the league a little. And the matter was allowed to drop. Sounds like the picture the league were painting was one of good cheer and merriment for all when the facts were considerably different. <laughs> I can't understand why they would select Buckley to tour and then say he was only a manager. But I also can't understand why Buckley would tour without his boots. <laughs> good question. But the one that really doesn't make sense is Doug McGregor not getting paid any compensation. Mm. He was obviously Queensland's best player and was also obviously injured in an interstate game. I can't see why his claim was, was, wasn't looked at favourably. But we're looking at it through a 110-year-old newspaper report, so who knows what really transpired. Yeah, no, that's a good point, Chris, but um, it sounds like he was harshly done by poor old Doug. Yeah, um, yeah maybe he'd put someone's nose out of joint at one of those player, you know, um, dinners or something like that. Maybe. A few too many drinks. <laughs> but things did move on. And in early May, not long before kickoff, it was determined that Valleys and Toomble would amalgamate. North Brisbane, Ipswich and South Brisbane would contest the 1911 season, but East Brisbane had disbanded. This begins the period in Brisbane League where the real struggle begins to stay afloat. Media reports are fewer to find, and certainly not as in-depth as they were, and there was a general feeling that it was all a bit of a struggle to maintain the game. The Valley's Toomble joint venture was more about sharing players than anything else. The club wore blue and undertook the work and stability of the Valley Club officials and despite amalgamating player talent was for all intents and purposes a Valley's team. North Brisbane wore the red and black hoops or mud and blood of West's Panthers. Eventually the North Brisbane team that was centred around Spring Hill, Red Hill and Paddington moved towards Barden and took on the Western Suburbs name. Ipswich of course wore green and represented the city of Ipswich and South Brisbane wore pale blue and were one of the many teams that would be a precursor to the southern suburbs magpies. But fixtures began on Saturday May the 9th with the Valleys Toomble and South Brisbane fighting out an 18-17 win to the men from south of the river. Despite Gordon Hooker's contribution of 11 points, Valleys Toomble couldn't overcome the good all-round game of South Brisbane, particularly the the try-scoring ability of George Rousel and the solid forward play of Vic Anderson. To top off the fact that North Brisbane had recruited the two Woodhead boys, state halfback Dave Kelly from Valleys and Herb Brackenreg in 1910 for the 1911 season, North Brisbane also recruited Queensland's international fullback Doug McGregor and state 5'8 Harry Dickens from Valleys. 
South Brisbane's international forward, Harold Nicholson, and Bundaberg's international half or 5'8", Harry Heidke. It sounds like a good team. Yeah, it does. The Heidkes have been mentioned in previous years, but this was the first year that either of them played in Brisbane. Harry and his older brother Bill, or Wilhelm, were from a family of 13. Their mother, Anne Buchbach, and father, Karl Heidke, were both born in Germany, but they didn't marry until they were in Bundaberg. So whether they knew each other prior to Bundaberg, I can't say. But the boys in the family lived and grew up in Bundaberg. So although, from a German background, those boys were exposed to an Australian country town upbringing where sport and outdoor living was always something to be enjoyed and part of your daily routine. There were more expert sportsmen in Bundaberg at that time than just the Heidkes, though. A Bundaberg representative team from this time would include Bill Heidke, Harry Heidke, Mick Belusky, Henry Belusky, Walter Belusky, and possibly Alex Belusky. That's six state players as well as four internationals. And to top off the Heidke Rugby League story, Bill Heidke's son Les, or Monty as he was better known, also a Bundaberg native, represented Queensland and Australia, playing nine tests in the 1930s. Mm, wow. Two families growing up in the sugar town of Bundaberg, one from Germany and one from Poland, and yet both ended up first playing and refereeing rugby union and later moving across to rugby league, and not just playing, but playing at the highest level. It's an amazing story where Australia was heading with our multicultural society and suggests that Bundaberg had the family club nailed well before Canterbury-Bankstown even considered calling themselves a club, let alone a family club, Hmm. because in 1910... The, Banks, the Canterbury Bankstown Club didn't even exist and Bundaberg laid claim to expert sets of rugby league playing brothers. It's interesting to think of what might have occurred if Bill had moved to Brisbane with Harry in 1911 and if Mick Belusky had travelled to Brisbane instead of returning to England to play with Lee in 1909. Yeah, but getting back to the story of the 1911 Brisbane Rugby League and North Brisbane had done all they could in 1910 to secure a premiership, which didn't eventuate. This time they had recruited extremely well, even beyond their 1910 recruitment, and began with a sound win over Premier Zipswich, with both Woodhead boys getting amongst the tries. Valleys also had a new recruit, George Mortimer, who'd been playing rugby union for Valleys since 1905 and had finally cracked state selection in 1907, and he was now on the other side of the fence playing for Valley Toomble in the rugby league. But all the noise was about North Brisbane early in the season and their recruitment continued to put them in good stead with a second win of the season, this time over South Brisbane. South Brisbane had numerous players who performed extremely well. Russell again, as well as Dreveson, Truman and Jones. But the North Brisbane side, led by a terrific performance from McGregor at the back, had great performances from Charlie and George Woodhead and state forwards Brackenreg, Nicholson and Jarrett. It was enough to win a tight game by 9 points to 3. Meanwhile, Valley Toomble trounced Ipswich with Hooker again figuring prominently in the scoring. And after only two rounds of Premiership competition, we were already into our first break for representative games, the first being a Possibles versus Probables match to select the Queensland team that was to take on New South Wales. Harry Heidke was listed as a reserve for that uh, Possibles-Probables game after only one club match. He came on at half-time, and after trailing 2-0 at the break, the Probables team took control of the match and won 10-0. A Queensland team was selected with Doug McGregor on the bench. After a train ride to Sydney, a couple of training sessions of mishaps at the Royal Agricultural Ground in Sydney in front of 32,000 people, Daly Messenger scored four tries, and New South Wales ran away with the game by 65-9. Wow. 
It was a real calamity and the Queensland team did not do themselves any favours when looking towards a kangaroo tour at the end of the 1911 season with that kind of performance. One of the extenuating circumstances surrounding the performance was that prior to the match taking place, a taxi head was transferring team manager Eve and officials Larkin and Evans as well as a number of players had a mishap. The taxi turned a corner and was confronted with a deep ravine from roadside excavation on one side and a mullock heap on the other side. He swerved to miss the ravine but his tyres rose over the edge of the mullock heap and the car tipped, throwing several Queenslanders out of the car. Of course, he can only imagine the type of car that was involved in 1911. But although no one was seriously hurt, it wasn't the best way to prepare for an interstate match. No, absolutely. In the two return interstate matches to follow, Doug McGregor was selected at fullback, and although the newspapers of the day mentioned a few other Queenslanders who stood up to the onslaught like Harold Nicholson, the general opinion of McGregor was that despite the scoreline, he covered himself in glory. Without his wonderful last-ditch tackling and his brilliant catching of kicks and the turn of speed to turn defence into attack, Queensland would no doubt have been trounced by much, much more than the 49-0 and 32-8 of the second and third interstate games. Dave, I wasn't going to bring this up, but I can't help myself. (laughs) In the QARL's AGM, it was noted that the New South Wales Rugby League took the entire gate earnings for the interstate matches of 1910. Mm. There was a general outcry in the rooms about this at the time, but now I can't find any mention of where the profits were to be going after the interstate series of 1911. Maybe it had something to do with costs to bring this team into state, but I imagine those costs were now Queensland's to bear in 1911. Mm. The whole thing just contributes to the general feeling of Queensland Rugby League towards New South Wales Rugby League that pervaded the relationship until State of Origin, and probably has even since, but with different touch points. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, by the time we returned to Brisbane Rugby League after the Interstate Series, Souths United and Ipswich B teams had been added to the competition. In fact, their first game was played against each other before the rest of the competition got back underway after those interstate matches. Souths United was formed after, uh, from another group of unsettled players from the strong South Brisbane Rugby Union Club. It also incorporated a group of players from all over, especially from the now disbanded East Brisbane team. And those players included previous QARL treasurer Phil DeWire, who until now had been a stalwart at North Brisbane. He couldn't help the new boys though as they lost 44-3 to Ipswich B and when they took on the 1911 version of North Brisbane, North ran rings around them, winning 50-6. Ipswich B managed a draw with Valley's Toomble, and Ipswich A defeated South Brisbane. Ipswich most definitely did have enough talent to play two teams in the Premier League competition, uh, as both were very competitive. Their B team was mostly junior players from last year, making the step up into senior footy. A lot of younger players, while well, while their A-team was full of established stars like Tubman, Foote, Thomas, Lewis O'Brien and Morgan. On June the 24th at the Gabba, a benefit match was played for the widow of Mickey Dore and his son Vincent. This match of the first 13 and second 13 was used as a selection trial for the upcoming Queensland versus New Zealand games. It was noted that the grandstand was fuller than at any other match of that year and the match was a cracker as well. The first 13 won 18 points to 3, but the game was evenly contested, and it was the extra bit of class that showed in attack and defence for the first team. A Queensland team was selected that included 8 of the first 13, McGregor, O'Brien, Hooker, Gilmore, Glasson, Nicholson, Schotts and Haylock, 
two players who were unavailable for the charity match, Charlie Woodhead and Harry Heidke, and just three of the second 13 in Dickens, Jarrett and Mackay. On June the 1st, New Zealand beat Queensland 24-13. For the July 5th return game on Wednesday afternoon, with the introduction of Herb Brackenreg, who was returning from injury, and the return to football of state selector Jay Fullerton, Queensland reversed the score, winning 23 points to 13. This brought about a highly anticipated third game the following Saturday, which New Zealand won by 18 to 14. Fullerton, Brackenreg and Murtagh from Ipswich had good games, but Harold Nicholson and Doug McGregor were outstanding and pressed further their claims for inclusion on the Kangaroo Tour. Strangely enough, we spoke about Herb Brackenrigg's 1903 warrant for arrest after deserting his army unit before his time served was up. Harold Nicholson also had an arrest warrant outstanding in 1903, and for the same reason. Nicholson was AWOL in January of 1903 after having served less than 12 months of service. I don't know how that resolved itself. There was a second warrant issued the next year with a note that said it had less than two years of service. There was no mention if he had been taken back in a first warrant and gone AWOL again or if he'd simply been AWOL the whole time. I think due to the way it was written it suggested that he'd return and gone AWOL a second time. There was no mention of the earlier warrant and there was no note that he had less than two years of service rather than one year of service noted in 1903 warrant. I couldn't find anything to follow up that second arrest warrant being issued. But I do know that in 1910, while playing rugby league in Brisbane, Nicholson had another desertion warrant hanging over his head. This time it was for child desertion. It seemed he was trying to hide in anonymity, but being a famous footballer didn't help him out. He was wanted in Sydney and living in Brisbane, so in 1910 that would help him out. But being so well known and travelling between the two cities to play football with his name in the paper every weekend for a few weeks wouldn't have helped him stay incognito. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. No. In fact, the arrest warrant that was issued in Sydney in 1910 said that he was a member of the Queensland Amateur Rugby League and playing for the state. So a year later, in June of 1911, he was in Sydney playing for Queensland against New South Wales. New South Wales constables Green and Nichols arrested him on June 12, just a couple of days after the games against New South Wales had been completed. He was ordered to pay 10 shillings a week and find sureties or be held in prison for a term of six months. Well, the sureties were found and Bob returned to play in Brisbane while his estranged wife Alice received her 10 shillings a week for his four sons, Stanley, 13, Walter, 12, Cecil, 6 and Clarence, 3. Nicholson, who was christened Robert, but as we know from our 1909 and 1910 episodes, went by the name of Harold, was married again after he returned to Brisbane, this time under the alias of Alfred Henry Nichols. This may not have been the reason for his name change from Robert to Harold, but it might shed some light on why he used Harold instead of his, either of his given Christian names, Robert or Harding. Rugby league's always been a game for people, respectable and scoundrel alike, found numbered in their pages of rugby league match day programs. It's one of the alluring aspects of the game and its inclusiveness. Throughout the interstate games for which Nicholson was in Sydney, the Australian selectors were selecting players to tour to England with the Kangaroos, and it was widely tipped that Queensland would have two tourists, fullback Doug McGregor, who'd been brilliant in a losing side, and forward Harold Nicholson, who'd been a shining light for Queensland in the drabness of their performances. 
After returning to club matches in Brisbane after Queensland's final game against New Zealand, the Australian team for England was finalised. It had to be selected early in the season so the players had the time to travel to England on a cruise liner, which would take months. McGregor and Nicholson had done nothing to jeopardise their chances of touring. McGregor was the man of the match in the first and third games against New Zealand after being outstanding against New South Wales, and Nicholson wasn't far behind him in any of those games. In the third match, Brackenreg was Queensland's best, but both McGregor and Nicholson were standouts in a winning team in Game 2. However, when the Kangaroo touring team was announced, only Nicholson was selected from Queensland. Yeah, Dave. The only player from Queensland selected, but that's not the end of the story. Mm. The General Committee of the Rugby League then met and discussed Nicholson's inclusion in the, in the squad long and hard. In the end, they didn't endorse his selection, which meant that he was unable to tour. Was this a decision made on his football ability alone, or was it based on state boundaries, or was it based on the police record that Harold, or Robert, had managed to embroil himself in during the 1911 season? We've said it before, and we'll no doubt say it again, rugby league in controversy. They really do go together like peaches and cream. Uh, it's still a case today, of course, but also selection of Queenslanders in national teams too. That's yeah. uh, oh, a point that's probably right too. <laughs> But back to Nicholson, the Queensland Amateur Rugby League, for their part, expressed great disappointment at the treatment meted out to Nicholson. He had received a letter of selection and was told the details of the trip only to be later told of his non-selection. They also expressed deep regret that Doug McGregor was not selected for the tour as he had been a standout performer all year. After selections were made, Dally Messenger and Sandy Pierce both expressed that they were unavailable to tour for personal reasons. The selectors determined that Chuck Fraser from Balmain would replace Messenger and Steve Darmody from South Sydney should tour instead. Neither at that point in time had played for New South Wales. <laughs> Gee, that sounds familiar. Yeah. A New South Wales player was ruled out of a national side, but let's not pick a Queensland player who's eminently qualified to do the job. Let's yeah. grab another guy from the Sydney club competition instead. 1974, 75 and 76 are coming back to haunt me again, Dave. You better take over for a yes, bit. Yes, case of deja vu. Well, meanwhile, back to the club premiership. North Brisbane drew 12-all with Valley Toomble, with Harry Powell getting amongst the tries for the boys in blue. George Rousel also got amongst the tries for South Brisbane as they beat Souths United. Ipswich B won their scheduled game, with Ipswich A on forfeit as the A team didn't have enough players to turn out for the match. The next week, Valleys Toomble beat South United and Ipswich A defeated a travelling Meriburra team by 18-17. to 17. Ipswich B beat Norths and the North Brisbane slide had begun. Over the next few weeks, North Brisbane forfeit a game to Ipswich, lose to Valley Toomble and they don't appear in the final round. There are more trials and representative games when New South Wales travelled to Queensland for matches, even though the Kangaroo tourists had already left. New South Wales won both games with New South Wales being full of country-based players. So Queensland followed suit and elected a country-based outfit for the final match as well. Into the final few rounds of the competition and Valley Toomble, Souths and Ipswich B won their games over the last couple of weeks of fixtures. In these couple of weeks, George Russell was going crazy. He scored tries, made exemplary cover tackles, caught high kicks, created breaks and generally played the house down. He was joined at South Brisbane by veteran forward Vic Anderson. Across the river at Valley Toomble, Gordon Hooker was, the f was to the fore, but ably supported by George Duffin and the new boy on the block, George Mortimer. 
That left us with Ipswich B, Valley Toomble, South Brisbane and Ipswich A with enough points to contest the semi-finals. North Brisbane had fallen by the wayside late in the season with three weeks of losses and a forfeit to drop out of the finals race. They had fallen off the pace so much that in the second last week of the season they forfeited a game against Ipswich B. Some of their players then turned out for South United against Valley Toomble and the boys in blue just held on for a 12-10 win. So all of the recruiting by North Brisbane once again met for naught. Mm. The semi-final race of 1911 was quite strange to say the least. The end of season points table had Valley Toomble and Ipswich B on the top of the table, followed by South Brisbane and Ipswich A. So North Brisbane certainly had fallen by the wayside as the season progressed. Valley Toomble beat Ipswich A 14-8 in a well-contested game. George Duffin at fullback, along with Gordon Babe Hooker and new rugby union convert George Mortimer, were standouts for the Valley Toomble side. And the 1910 Ipswich grand final hero Jeffrey was one of Ipswich's best. In the other semi final, South Brisbane beat Ipswich B by 13 3. State winger George Rousel and prop forward Vic Anderson continued their form and were standouts for Souths. But Ipswich B had the right of reply, so they couldn't be knocked out until they had the chance to play the last team standing because they'd finished on top of the table. That made things a little messy because the final was now being played between the two semi-final winners, South Brisbane and Valley Toomble. I don't know why, but Ipswich B had a game organised against Ipswich A as a crossover semi-final, which Ipswich A forfeited because they had too many injuries and not enough players to fill the team. Valley Toomble won that preliminary final game against South Brisbane by 10-8, where again George Rousel and Babe Hooker were standout performers. That brought up the final, where Valley Toomble took on Ipswich B, and they won 13-0. George Duffin was everywhere that day, making try-saving tackles and kick returns, and generally proving a thorn in the Ipswich B side. Yeah, that's right, Dave. So now we bring in the right of reply for the final. And Ipswich B and Valley Toomble had to fight it out again. So I'm finding it a bit hard to work out. Ipswich B got to play a crossover semi-final, and... Uh, and then they got to play against Valleys who had beaten beaten South Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was their right of reply, but no, 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 they get their right of reply now. So mm. it's all a bit confusing. Mm. Anyway, this time, Ipswich B had the jump on the men in blue as they went to the break at halftime 2-0 uh, after the halfback winning had kicked a goal from a mark. Mm-hmm. After halftime, though, with two New Zealanders, Hooker and our forward Arthur Surgisson to the fore, the back line were able to set up Harry Powell for two tries. Then a clincher from Surgisson later in the game put Valley Toomble in an unassailable position. It started a bit of rough play, but things eventually settled down and Valley Toomble won 13-2 and took out the 1911 QARL Premiership. It was great for Rugby League that Ipswich was able to field two sides, but it seemed like a strain on teams from Brisbane and from Ipswich. No easy transport made it a more difficult exercise than we can probably imagine, and as a result of that and the growing interest of the game in Ipswich, the Ipswich and West Morton competition of 1912 kicked off with plenty of senior and junior teams, and the men from Ipswich stayed at home to ply their rugby league trade. Well, Dave, before we jump into 1912, while we're dealing with 1911, let's look at the players from that year who could be placed into a BRL Moments in Time Hall of Fame. So who are the players that stood out playing rugby league in 1911? Well, as in 1910, we don't have enough detailed match reports to tell us who was the top try scorer or the top point scorer, but we've got a fairly good record for the teams at the top of the scorers' tables. 
Herb Brackenrig would have been pretty close to the top point scorer with 48 points from two tries and 21 goals in front of Babe Hooker with four tries and 14 goals for 40 points. We scored every one of Valley's Toomble's games, uh, so there's no way Hooker would, could have made up more ground on Brackenrig, and it was unlikely that someone from another team would have done so, particularly as we had the scores for all of Ipswich B's games as well. Their top point scorer was their 5'8", Gilmore. As for the top try scorer, George Rousel from South had been at the top since we started in 1909, and again he's up there in 1911. It was closely followed by George Mortimer, George Mortimer was a centre for Valley's Rugby Club. We know he played rugby for Queensland and after a start of the 1911 season, he jumped codes to play for Valley's Toomble. He scored six tries in his maiden season while Rousel crossed the stripe seven times. We were able to score all of South's games and also all of Valley Toomble games, so Rousel gets a nod as the top try scorer for 1911. North did secure some great talent for this year and despite it not getting them to where they wanted, Players like Doug McGregor really shone for the North Brisbane team, as did Harry Dickens and Harry Heidke, especially early in the season. North Brisbane also had Charlie and George Woodhead performing well, along with Herb Brackenrig, who was outstanding all year, but none more so than the only Queensland kangaroo tourist selected, Harold Nicholson. One interesting note of North Brisbane was the introduction of Bill Lynch. Here's someone we'll talk about more in the coming years and he played for Queensland in the end-of-season games against New South Wales country. Babe Hooker and George Duffin were standout performers for Valley Toomble throughout the entire season, and they played for Queensland as well. Arthur Surgisson, the big Kiwi forward who joined Valley's Toomble, also shone out as being a rather handy player. George Rousel was another who stood out for Souths, especially late in the season. Bob Tubman for Ipswich was again one of the standout players for them, along with Arthur O'Brien, who was very good for Ipswich and exceptional when he played for Queensland. And Bill Thomas also stood out, but the Ipswichian who stood out more than most was their 5'8", centre or wing three-quarter, Jay Gilmore. Having been through that list and reading through match reports from the year, I'd, sh- I'd suggest a short list including North Brisbane fullback Dougal McGregor. His 1911 season was simply outstanding. He played in six of Queensland's eight matches. In the first game against New South Wales, he was selected on the bench. I don't know why, but probably because he was injured for the Possibles Probables match. And uh, George Duffin impressed in that game. But McGregor played the next six games for Queensland and was man of the match in all six games. Yeah, that's impressive. Mm. Well, man of the match for Queensland. Some of those New South Wales players would have, probably. <laughs> but he was the best <laughs> Queensland player on the field for all six of those games. Mm. Uh, he then didn't play in that final fixture because they were um, selecting uh, players from the country for that final Queensland fixture. How he wasn't selected to go on that kangaroo tour, I just don't know. I read several reports that noted before the touring squad was selected and they all said that uh, he'd been promised a spot in the team. Such was his form. And then after the touring squad was selected, I read other reports that all stating that um, not only that he'd been promised a spot in the team, only to be left out, but that when Dolly Messenger pulled out, the selectors then plumped for Charles Fraser from Sydney competition, who at that yeah. stage still hadn't played for New South Wales. <laughs> I wasn't there, but for the indignation that was felt by Queensland scribes at the time about the snubbing of Deagle McGregor suggests that he should have been the first person that we put into this short list today. Yeah, well, if McGregor, who wasn't selected for the Kangaroo Tour, is on the short list... Then Harold Nicholson, who was selected as a member of that kangaroo tour party, has to be the second guy on the shortlist. 
He was the other Queensland player who stood out in the top class as well. Whether it was playing club games for North Brisbane or state matches for Queensland, Nicholson was always very good. Dave, when I was doing research for his individual piece for this episode, I read a few Sydney newspaper reports around the time when he was arrested, which was just after the 1911 Interstate Series. And in each of them, despite the heavily lopsided score lines, the Sydney newspapers said that Nicholson was Queensland's best forward and he'd played well under difficult circumstances. So I'm more than comfortable with Nicholson's inclusion here. It certainly speaks to him being in that top quality. Yeah, yep, no doubt. Uh, I also think that Gordon Babe Hooker from Valley Turnbull is definitely worthy of a mention for this shortlist. He proved to be a really special player in his years playing in Brisbane, and 1911 was no exception. Queensland played eight matches, and Hooker played in seven of them. They didn't mention him being injured for the last game, but the team selected for that last Queensland match included a lot of players previously unknown to the state jersey. But even if we left state honours alone for now, he was outstanding for Valley Turnbull as well. His form was exceptional early in the season, and he was the player of the match in the second final and in two of the Valley Turnbull semi-finals. I'm happy with that one too. There are a number of guys who had played multiple games for Queensland. George Duffin played six and was playing well enough to keep Doug McGregor on the bench, I guess, in that first interstate game. But he continued to play well, even when McGregor came into his real purple patch of form. George Russell from South didn't play state football in 1911, but he was as consistent as he could be scoring at regular intervals and regularly mentioned as one of South Brisbane's best. Harry Heidke played five games for Queensland and was often recognised for his performances for North Brisbane. Arthur O'Brien from Ipswich and Vic Anderson from South Brisbane were also consistently top performers, as was Herb Brackenrig. But the guy I want to suggest for the next spot is someone who, to this point, hasn't been mentioned. He was a utility player. He played centre and wing for Queensland and played centre for his club. But he was also played in the forwards of his club. In fact, that's where he played most often because he was normally a forward for his club and he played for Queensland in the three-quarter line I actually thought that he was a guy from the country that they'd slotted into the centre position. But when I went through and reviewed the data and reread um, some of the match reports, I realised that he was a guy playing in the forwards for North Brisbane and playing well. And his name's Eric Glasson. We haven't spoken of him because I always thought he was a country player, not eligible. But now that that link's been made, I think he needs to be the next guy on our shortlist because we should have talked about him a whole lot more than we have in this mm. episode. Mm-hmm. Okay, then finally, we need to add Herb Breckenrigg to this list. Herb was a standout performer more times than not, and being the competition's top scorer suggests that he was of great value to his team. His accurate goal-kicking adds a bonus to his general good play around the field, and that general play gave him regular write-ups as one of North Brisbane's best, as well as six matches for Queensland. He missed the fourth one through injury, and the last one along with almost everyone else, as the Queensland selectors went with country-based players, as the New South Wales selectors had. But Brackenrigg was one of the best in the game, and should still be recognised, I reckon. Yeah, I think I'm happy with her Brackenrigg as well. We need to acknowledge guys like George Duffin, Harry Heidke, George Rousel, Vic Anderson, Arthur O'Brien and Bob Tubman, though. Rousel, especially in 1911, he was a real try-scoring sensation. But I think Brackenrigg's the pick of those from the 1911 news reports. So there you have it. 1911 in the bag. We've listed North Brisbane fullback Doug McGregor, forward Harold Nicholson, also from North Brisbane, Valley Turnbull centre and captain Gordon Hooker, North Brisbane centre or utility player Eric Glasson, 
And finally, also from North Brisbane, Herb Brackenrig. That's four players from North Brisbane, and they were regularly scoring positive match reviews for their club as well. It doesn't really make sense that they failed to make the semi-finals, but that's the way it went. And that's our wrap of 1911. Thanks very much for listening. We appreciate your support and hope you've enjoyed what you're hearing. Thanks to Dave for your help with this episode. Yeah, pleasure as usual. If you enjoyed the podcast, please jump onto your platform that you listen to and give us a five-star rating and a review so others can find us too. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at BRL Moments in Time, you can contact us via our website or via our social media pages. Just search BRL Moments in Time on Facebook and on Instagram and get in contact with us there. Or our website, which is brl-momentsintime.com. This podcast was developed and produced on the lands of the Yagara, Yugara and Yagarapal people of the Ipswich region. We acknowledge and pay respect to their traditional custodians. Until next week, thanks for listening.